Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our studio on the waves. Studio. Sailing in the South Atlantic off the coast of Brazil. We're far below the equator in South America, which is very exciting. We made our way here from Orlando. The trip here was longer than it needed to be because flights don't always go when and where you wish they would. that's for sure. And uh, we took the first part of the flight overnight and had, in my case, about an hour and a half of sleep. Then we had a lengthy layover in Sao Paulo, Brazil, waiting for a one-hour flight to Rio where our cruise began. So we arrived here not in such good shape, but it was only two time zones apart from Florida, which made all the difference in the world. A good night's sleep, and we are ready to go. It's an eight-hour flight south of Orlando to make it to Rio. Uh, Rio is an exciting city because it has uh, the Carnival, which takes place every year and is a huge activity similar to what happens in New Orleans, but uh, I think even on a bigger scale. And I gotta say that Rio has some of the nicest, biggest beaches we've ever seen. We enjoyed the scenery so much. Uh, it made us think of Sydney in Australia, and we were lucky to have a driver who took us yes. from one crawl up a mountain to another crawl up a mountain to see wonderful views of the city. Yes, we were not walking. We were driving. And no matter where we were or where we looked, it was spectacular. The blue ocean and the big wide beaches. We were surprised to learn that the Rio area has over 50 miles of beach. So this is what Brazilian people do. Um, And it's right in the middle of the city. I mean, the city is incorporated into the beaches. Our driver said that when he was a kid, that's just what he did every day. He got up in the morning and he went to the beach. He ran home to have a quick lunch and went back to the beach until it got dark and his mom made him come home. The beach is just central to the Brazilian people in this part of the country. And it's huge and wide and sandy, very nice sand, and apparently very safe in terms of surf. Uh, the waves when we were here were not that large and apparently they don't do much surfing in Rio. Probably somebody will well, contradict one us. Part yeah. of it yeah. where they and, do. and the city is surrounded by mountains and very scenic things you've iconic things you've seen, Sugarloaf and the, the Christ the Redeemer statue. Right, and you can take a cable car up there and look around. We didn't do that this time because we've been to Rio a couple times before. But uh, if you're looking for a scenic city to visit in South America and you're looking for some nice warm weather. Of course, it's been warm in the Midwest, but uh, (laughs) uh, not as warm as it is down here, that's for sure. I think Rio is warm uh, year-round, but we are here during their summer. Or, which means it's a little more warm. Uh, one more thing about the beaches. Uh, as RVers, we are not good at traveling light. And when we go to the beach, <laughs> we always bring a giant mountain of stuff. Umbrellas and beach chairs and towels and things to do while we're on the beach. We're like a caravan. And the people of Rio do not do that. Um, 
You usually can rent an umbrella on the beach. I think you can rent chairs too, and most people don't bring them. They just sit on a towel. They travel light. I'm guessing that this might be um, caused by the fact that pickpocketry and petty thievery uh-huh. is still a oh, thing really? about that. in this part of Brazil. And if you bring stuff and you go playing in the water, it might not be there when you get back. So it's much easier just to rent an umbrella. People are walking around with trays full of tropical drinks that are um, pleasing to the eye and to the palate. The caipirinha, uh, their national drink, is something that a lot of people like to have. And there are mm-hmm. vendors uh, that sell beautiful string bikinis if you're so inclined. They have yes. them hanging And many on, women who should not be wearing them. <laughs> they have them hanging on umbrellas so that you can see them properly displayed in all their tiny magnificence and everybody almost everybody wears a very brief bathing suit compared to what we are used to at home even the the overweight women but i should add that um we didn't see very many people in our age group and younger people (laughs) tend to be a little more beach appropriate (laughs) in terms of their bodies and lots of kids Yes. And there were also organized areas where people had schools for something called beach tennis, which used a fairly hard ball and a paddle that was hard, like a pickleball paddle, paddle but bigger than a pickleball paddle. And then they also did beach volleyball, which we're pretty used to from the United States beaches. Yeah, all sorts of uh, beach games in the sand, which, of course, makes it really hard to play because uh, sand is hard to walk in anyway. And to run around in it all for several hours is a tough gig. But these people were doing it, and it was fun to watch. So after a brief hotel stay, we boarded the Seabourne Quest. I must say, looking back on my life, that we are gradually upping the ante in terms of the quality and cost of the cruises that we are um, enjoying. And we are in a spacious cabin that is roughly 50% bigger than our RV as I'm just looking around. And we have a big couch. We have two easy chairs. 50% we have, bigger than our RV? Well, I'm just looking at the space on the inside where I sit. It seems bigger to me. We have a huge balcony where we could easily entertain another couple besides ourselves. I have a makeup table. We have two sinks in the bathroom. It's exceedingly la-di-da. La-di-da. That's us. But uh, we have booked this for the trip, (laughs) the short trip from Rio to Miami, which for us is 27 days. But we just attended a lecture where they asked how many people have been on for the full 53 days. Is that right? I thought it was longer than that. Even longer than that. Where they went, this ship has left Miami, went around the west side of South America, down around the bottom, over to Antarctica, and now up the east side. And we're just meeting it at basically the last port of embarkation, which is was Rio. We didn't even know all this was taking place. So there are people on this boat that have been here for a long time. And we kind of feel like outsiders because... <laughs> There are so many people who have been on for the full... And they know everybody, and they know what to do, and they know how things work, and we're just still figuring it out at the beginning of our cruise. To me, this has been a big change in cruising in olden times when we first started. Many cruises... You are old, yes. Certainly not all uh, had a 
defined length and they had a defined place where everybody got on and a defined place where everybody got off. In our case, we were still working then, so we tended to take a cruise for a week and stand in long lines with people embarking and disembarking. And when we came here, because almost everybody on the ship was already here, we practically were checking in by ourselves in a ghost town because uh, not too many people got on in Brazil. Yes, then that's been kind of a surprise to us. Uh, there are other ships that, uh, like MC, MSC, that uh, board in every port. You can get on and off. They make circles, and it just keeps going in a circle, and you can get on and off at any port. So you can make it fit your work schedule yeah, and your life yeah. schedule. That's kind of nice. But traditionally, cruises are a fixed length. And this one was booked to us as uh, 27 days, and it was... Uh, one of our bucket lists because we wanted to go up the Amazon, and this does a circumnavigation, if that's what you want to call it, up and back to Manaus, which is in the interior of Brazil at the end of the, I guess, the beginning of the the Amazon, at least the navigable Amazon. And then it comes back out again, and we sail through a couple of Caribbean islands and then back to Miami. And from there, we're taking the train back to Orlando. One of the things we have come to realize is that a cruise for us is not the same in terms of marketing as a cruise for someone else. We have learned that when Australians book a cruise, they don't they don't pay gratuities, gratuities. because they don't pay gratuities um, or tips to waitstaff in their own country, so they're not used to doing that, and so they feel like that their cruises are more expensive than ours, but in actuality they come out about the same because we add the tips on at the end. And in terms of the itineraries, sometimes they are marketed differently to different markets. I didn't understand that right away. And that makes me think about the role of a travel agent. Uh, As you know, we are kind of independent-minded people, and we generally like to do things ourselves, but the question is, should you use a travel agent when you are booking a cruise? And I would say yes. Travel agent that we like the best um, is associated with a website called Vacations to Go, which has a wonderful database of almost every cruise in the world. Which is one of the big benefits. So when you're shopping around for segments of cruises or where you want it to go in the middle of the cruise or the beginning or the end, you can put in those search parameters and find out exactly what's out there. And when we book with our travel agent to vacations to go, from vacations to go, she inevitably throws in uh, some onboard credit called OBC. OBC for cruisers in the know. Which is a nice benefit that we don't pay extra for. Which is money that you can spend only on on the the ship. So you can buy drinks, you can book a shore excursion, you can buy jewelry in the gift shop, you can pay for your Wi-Fi. It's up to you. So that's a nice little benefit to have. And I think the thing that is a little bit surprising for us is that uh, the cruise lines will never undercut your travel agent. So the travel agent will always give you the best deal. It would seem that booking directly with the cruise line would be the best option because you get the best deal. But in fact, because travel agents sell most cruises um, and they are essential to the success of any cruise line, the cruise lines do not undercut. So that booking on board, which is pushed fairly heavily and they talk about it being a good deal but in fact the only deal that they might give you is a reduced 
uh, deposit. They might give you small perks otherwise, but basically your booking is transferred to your travel agent if you have one, so they get the credit for it, or they're going to get the commission. And then the cruise line is out of the picture. So booking on board is not really you know, any benefit on any cruise line, which is kind of a surprise because they do, they do push that. And they have the widest selection of cabins, they say, but I'm not sure that that's true either. So we tend to book directly with our, our travel agent, and uh, we get a little bit of OBC. We get some other perks, too, um, depending on the particular line and the particular time that we're booking. So as a word of wisdom from your travel consultants here, uh, the RV navigators. <laughs> We're stepping out of our RV navigator shoes and, and into the cruising cruise shoe. navigator. Cruise navigators. <laughs> Ooh, the cruise navigators. Ooh, a nice new name for our new podcast. Maybe we should just have a second podcast. We I could think, do it every other week. I think so, as much as we've been cruising these yes, days. Uh, so take it as a word of wisdom. Find yourself a good travel agent, whether it be online. Well, that's another thing is should you just book directly online? Probably not. There are so many variables with a cruise. Cabins, eating, ships, that you want to have the advice of a professional in the business. That's something I was just going to talk about because I am ambivalent about it. Um, Uh Our friends just came back from an Asia cruise similar to the one we took at the end of last year and they had some small issues and she said, well, shouldn't the travel agent have warned us about that or taken care of that? And it's not always real clear to me uh, what they are truly responsible for because in our case we know kind of what we want and we tell her this is what we want and then she books it um but we have had to learn for example the hard way that you want to look at the cabin's location on the ship and the deck above you and the deck below you for extraneous noise um how close or far you are from the elevator on the big ships that can be quite a trek and there are little details like that that i don't know that a travel agent would pay i think they would absolutely pay pay attention if if you you ask ask them them. to but that's but if you don't know to ask that's that's more my question um i think that's an important factor that you need to find a travel agent who knows what you want for instance we don't care too much whether we're at the bow or the stern um and you find that Many of the cabins, although there are lots of cabin categories, you'll have veranda A, veranda B, veranda C, and there'll be different prices. And you think, why? And you think, why? Because when you look at the floor plan, they are actually exactly the same. All the balconies are the same, and the and the floor plan is the same for each of the cabins. But the reason for the difference in price is because of location. Just like real estate. They can see, yeah, it's, yeah, location, location, location. There's just no question about it, and that is, that's the factor that the cruise lines depend on. So if you want to be in the middle of the ship, <laughs> both up and down and horizontally, then you will pay the most money because that's where the most expensive cabins are. And if you are worried about seasickness, which in my opinion right. is not that's a big deal anymore, exactly. it's good to be in the middle of the ship and not at the exactly. front. 
or the bow. But I have to say, as someone who got seasick occasionally in the good old days, uh, that pretty well has been taken out of the equation because of all the stabilizing equipment that cruise ships yeah. have on board. And you feel this, the waves, you feel the swell, you might find yourself losing your balance a little as you walk down the hall and crash into a wall. But that's about it. So it's really not a big deal. I know people, to us, to people, us. people worry yes, about they that do. a lot. And that is, more than it, I think they should. Well, <laughs> they're more sensitive than we are, but that's the kind of thing that a travel agent can help you with. And it depends on how much you want to spend. If you want to, you know, top dollar goes to the middle cabins in the middle of the ship, vertically and horizontally. So you decide, you know, what's important to you. But If you are worried about seasickness, there's always Dramamine available um, from the medical dispensary, or you can bring it from home myself it's it puts me out for 24 hours if i was having insomnia i'd take a dramamine and i'd be gone the rest of the day so i don't like doing that but you can also get a scopolamine patch which you glue on behind your ear your doctor has to prescribe it for you and we know some people who had problems with those because it, it can affect your vision and you suddenly feel like you can't focus your eyes anymore which is another bad feeling so my advice is to just be, be okay with it and don't look at the horizon and oh and people also wear these wristbands yeah. with acupuncture pressure points we've never tried that it seems a little voodoo to me but who am i so that's been our experience the other thing that uh, we can talk about uh, with travel especially on this particular trip is whether or not to get your air through the company that you book the, the main trip from both our land trips as well as the cruise trips that we do we always 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 book our own air a lot of people feel more comfortable booking their air through their main excursion company whether it's a land-based or cruise and you find out that these companies have agreements with certain airlines but not all of them yes and that probably you're not going to be booked on the best connection to the city that you're going and that to us is key one of the things to us that is best is the less stops the better because the more times your plane goes up and goes down and goes up and goes down the more occasions there are for them to screw up your luggage so if you can get a nice non-stop flight for yourself which booking agencies often don't do because they can get a more affordable flight if they're the ones that are doing the booking you lose that control and if something happens to your flight for example on this trip we had planned to come here on a Wednesday and our airline said to us um, we aren't going to fly to Rio anymore on Wednesdays we're going to rebook you to Thursday we could have easily and quickly responded to them and negotiated that change uh, where when you have an agent that's in the middle of the process it delays it sometimes they are not as responsive as you would hope they would be I like to be in control of the airline situation uh, now we're talking about uh, dealing with the company directly. A good travel agent can book you on everything you need and make uh, a one basically one package. We're talking about booking with the cruise company or booking with a land trip company. company. They're the ones who have these uh, agreements, and if they offer you free air, you have to say there's, there's no going to be some big compromises in terms of uh, when and how you can fly. As we said here. 
We flew from Orlando, and we had one stop. We would not accept a, a trip that had more than one stop. Uh, obviously, if you're coming from the middle of the country someplace, you're going to have to fly to a major hub. But I would get as few stops as you possibly can. And we like to fly uh, on airlines that uh, are going exactly where we're going. For instance, we flew here on, on Azul. An airline we had never used before because it is the Brazilian national carrier. We had seen some Azul planes in Orlando, (laughs) so we knew that they did exist. And they fly to Chicago, too. We were surprised. And that's about all that we knew. And they were a little bit challenging to deal with because their website was in Portuguese. We had a hard time figuring out what everything meant. But that was a better choice for us than taking a carrier that we knew better that would result in multiple stops and higher prices. Yes. So basically, you would go on Google Flights or some other site that uh, has all the flights that you can that make the connections or the, the transport you to where you want to go, look at all the choices, look at all the airlines, and then start weeding them out based on price or whatever criteria you want to use. And then we just book it directly. If you have a travel agent, they will help you with that. But for it's, us, it's, it's these days, do. it's just so easy to do all of these things online. We use a, a kayak as a, as a good source of, of flights, and they will give you flights for just about any place in the world uh, between two cities. Like we're in, in the summer, we're going between Munich and Athens, and it had a dozen flights there, and we could book those. And local European carriers, not necessarily American, United, or Delta, so that you know you can choose and choose the, fr- the price that you want for that particular uh, segment of your of your trip. Another part of that operation that people fret about is how to get from the airport oh, yes. to the cruise port or or on a land tour to the first hotel on your land tour. And they, again, are very reassured by having some large organization, the tour company or the cruise company or the travel agent, arrange that little missing piece of how to get from here to there. And we found that that is so easy to do ourselves these days. There are companies like Viator, V-I-T-O-R, that sell you um, transfers from the airport to the cruise port uh, that you book ahead of time. It's so reassuring after you've been flying for many hours to come out of that baggage carousel area and see a man with holding a sign with your name on yes, it. Yes, exactly. And know that he knows that you are coming, and he knows where your hotel is because you told him before you had jet lag, and he and, just and, drives and you And no there. money involved. You just And you've already you pay, paid for it. Right. Uh, so many cruise companies wait to fill a bus before they take you to the ship <laughs> so that depending on how many people are on your plane. They may be waiting for another flight. Uh, There are lots of uh, variables there, and it just won't be as convenient as having a a guy standing there with your name on on a sign waiting to take you to the airport or to the, well, either way, to the airport or to the cruise ship or whatever you want. And it's not really all that expensive. It's very easy to organize online, and it just, uh, it, you, you wonder why people are so wedded to getting the complete package from the cruise line and paying a huge surcharge for that. It makes them feel safe and secure, I think, but often that they are not. I, I heard of a, a friend of ours who was on a port taking the 
the cruise company shuttled to the airport because they were going to fly home. And as Ken said, they had a big bus and they were waiting to fill it up with all the cruisers. And by the time that big bus was full and left, they got to the airport late and missed their flight, which was totally unnecessary. So if they had booked their own transportation as soon as they got off the cruise ship, they could have gone to the airport and everything would have been cool. So it's not the security necessarily that you think it is, and you can easily do it yourself. And And in general, I would say for any part of this operation, there's an app involved. We have an app for our cruise ship. The airlines have apps. There are apps for Viator and other tour companies that do the transfers. You book it on the app. You have it on your phone. You can show it to somebody if you're not sure what the name of it was or what what you're doing. It's all right there. There's an app for that. Of course. And... That's one of the security factors that people want is that they know that the ship will not leave if they've booked with the cruise line. But that's oh. not <laughs> not true at all. If you read the message boards, you know that ships leave all the time. Without, because they have to. And ships have to leave because of tides frequently. They can't get out of the channel. when So ships have to leave when they leave. Um, and they're going to leave whether you're there or not. Yes, the cruise line will help you get to the next destination, but you could do that yourself anyway. Many of the packages will include that as an option, too. Sometimes cruise ships have to leave their port because they've paid to be there from 9 to 5, and they have to leave at 5 whether you're there or not because some other ship is going to come in and be in that exact spot an hour later, and they have to get out of there. It's like you can't tell your hotel, I don't feel like leaving (laughs) till this afternoon because someone else is going to be sleeping in that bed that night. Uh, they do not have that much flexibility and control over their schedule either. It's all planned ahead of time. Right. So that is a sounds like a big benefit, but it really is not much in, in actuality. It's, it doesn't really hold water. So it's up to you. If you want to buy one package and uh, get ripped off, that's okay. But we hope that we have empowered <laughs> you from our experience to seize control of your trip. Yeah, it's uh, we, and we like to have the, the control over the flights and the transportation and all the, the aspects of it. But then again, we have time to make those connections and to buy those tickets and make sure that everything is right because it is a little bit more work. I will grant you that. Although people spend a lot of time on the phone trying to contact cruise line flight arrangements and make make deals. And then sometimes you have to pay extra to change the flight that they've picked. I don't know. It's just kind of a mess. And I think the planning is kind of fun. It gets you excited about the trip before you even leave. You start learning more about the places you're going, what there is to do there, uh, what the options and choices are. It's all part of the fun, as long as you have the time. And now we should probably head off and do some RVing topics. After all, this is the RV Navigator. And we do lots of travel, but we do travel by RV too. And this month we had an exciting adventure because we left you off last month with your mouths open and bated breath waiting for us to tell you how our first towing experience with our new car went. Did we talk about buying the car already? I think so. Well, we, we owned the car, but it was going to be set up. So did we talk about my hesitations about buying this car? No. 
my my approach to buying a lot of hesitant about buying my approach to buying a lot of things that we replacing a lot of the things we already own is that we had a cat once that lived for 18 years and and that's often my often my yardstick about whether we need something new so i have been getting some campaigning pressure from my husband because he knows how i work uh for quite some time now about buying a new car and i felt like the jeep we had was in beautiful condition and he was worried about various moving parts that i don't worry about and we finally and we finally came to an agreement that it was time to buy a new car and it was greatly delayed by covid and the supply chain problems and so we felt we felt some time pressures i guess when we finally were starting to make the big move but what bothered me the most uh that i was warned about by my beloved husband is all of the new safety features which we were buying this car for were going to cause us problems when it came to towing and so he did a lot of research and i think in some cases he found things out that could be problems that jeep had solved uh when they initially came out because they made this they made this major change in the interior of the vehicle of the jeep grand cherokee about three or four years ago so they've had some time to work out the bugs and from my perception many of the safety features which were very appealing for um an aging driver who might not notice everything that she needs to notice these were the same features that were going to cause us problems when we were setting up to be towed because they were designed to keep you from crashing into things and when you are towing a car you are always about to crash into your motorhome and you have to reassure your car that that's not going to be a problem so as we read, as you read, as you looked on YouTube uh, about people who had purchased this model of new car ahead of us, um, they had many problems, and that was quite concerning to me. But I'm happy to report that due to all of the study and some upgrades from Jeep and the software, I believe, that our first towing experience was remarkably unalarming. Yes, it worked out very well. We didn't tow it very far, 27 miles uh, one way, and this was kind of a test to see how it works, and it worked very much like the old one. We were very surprised. Um, The Jeep Grand Cherokee, although on the outside it looks very familiar and very similar, on the inside it's uh, basically all new. Everything is electronic, and it's got this lane control where it won't let you move over the lane markers without giving you a, a warning, and it actually moves the steering wheel. Unless you turn All on sorts the turn of great signal. New features, which for those of us who are a little bit older and uh, maybe losing our our uh, ability to drive uh, is uh, actually very comforting. And for those of us who aren't all that old, who are busy te- <laughs> is that you <laughs> are busy texting um, oh. or doing business on their phone while they're driving down the road, it, those are good features for those kinds of people too. So as we mentioned last month, we were had an appointment to get the car set up for towing, and that took uh, a full day to have that work done. And I've included a picture on our website uh, for this month, which is uh, thervnavigator.com, episode 227 for March 2024. And there's a picture there that shows you what our car looks like with all of the connections. Because if you're going to tow a car four down, you need to have some extra connections and that includes the safety chains it includes the tabs for the tow bar it includes 
the airline in our case, or some sort of braking system, and an electrical umbilical. So all of those connections, and I show you where those go on our car. In order to set your car up for this, they had to take off the whole front of the car and then uh, you know do the wiring and installing of the equipment. And there's some pieces which are in there too uh, that make it so that uh, you can tow it. Now understand that I read a lot of people who say, can I tow this car? Can I tow that car? There are very few cars, new cars, that you can actually tow four down. And by four down, I mean that all the wheels are on the ground. Um, your options are to put it on a dolly, which would bring two wheels off the ground, and then it would you would uh, tow it with two wheels on the ground, or a trailer. Um, and I'm sure you've heard us say before that dollies and trailers are fine while you're on the highway, but once you get to the campground, well, what do you do with them? They're a lot more work to, to set them up, because you've got to lash the tires down to the dolly, and there are just a number of things that have to be done. And then, of course, you, as she says, you have to have this extra piece of equipment. The towing fort now takes us less than five minutes to hook it up. Yeah, it's really simple. And it's simple, and it just works. And the equipment is uh, quite small. We, the biggest piece is the tow bar, which is more or less permanently on the back of the, of the motorhome. Do all the Jeeps have this towable feature? Oh, and that's another interesting feature is is that no, not at all. As a matter of fact, the Grand Cherokee, which we bought, uh, it's only a couple of models. It comes as a, t- <laughs> this would be strange, you'd think that a two-wheel drive, a rear-wheel drive car, would be easily towable, but that's not the case at all. <clears throat> the Jeep Grand Cherokee has to have the highest end transit transmission with a transfer case a two-speed transfer case in order for it to be flat towable but if you do buy this model and it is very popular if you look behind many motorhomes you'll see a grand cherokee because it's a very nice car for driving around town you will see that uh, it is the higher end models because they are the ones that have the four wheel case. so none of the more affordable jeeps can can no, come no. in this configuration no uh i'm not saying that at all this is an expensive car this is an expensive car the traditional looking jeeps are much more common and they have much more towing capability that's why you see so many more of them the gladiators and the (laughs) the standard looking jeeps um but if you want kind of a luxury luxurious car then the grand cherokee is the one and it is uh only the ones with the two-speed transfer case and the uh more sophisticated transmission, which is fine. I I don't mind that at all. And that was the case with the last one also. But uh, we were a little bit worried about all the electronics that were built into this guy, so it has towed magnificently. We didn't drag the wheels. One of the biggest problems is they have now an electronic parking brake, which apparently comes on unexpectedly. When you walk by with a fob in your pocket. (laughs) And some people buy Faraday Bags, bags in or they where they put their key fobs in the in the Faraday bag so that no electri- electrical energy emissions will come out and accidentally trip the parking brake on the Jeep. We didn't experience this, um, but who knows? In the future, we may have s- some scraping as the tires are locked up as we go down the road. Who you knows? feel like you're plowing a field with your toad. I assume that even with as big a vehicle as we 
drive that it would be noticeable that the wheels weren't turning. And, and be- I can see the wheels in the... And because you have tire pressure monitors, if you drag your tires, they would get hot and you would notice it that way too, right? Uh, it might be too late. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. That w- that's good if you're dragging the brakes, but uh, I don't know. We'll uh-huh. see. Uh-huh. So it's going to be an exciting adventure, but we have a new car with only a 1,000 miles on it. And, and a moment. successful towing experience. I want to add that, to me, the most... Um, concerning part of this whole process is at the very end when you disengage everything and put the car back into driving <laughs> oh. mode you get all sorts of alarming messages <laughs> in the electronic display that make you think that all of your tires are flat and um, it, engine problems and you think oh my god what have I done and th- it's like the electronic system has um, had a stroke <laughs> <laughs> and you need to just dr- drive around slowly around a parking lot or something and all of these symptoms gradually disappear. It works fine, but the display is alarming alarming with red lights and flashing It's a time when you should bring black tape and just (laughs) tape it all over the display. Just take a little black cloth and put it over. Until that all goes away. But that goes away quickly. I mean, within half a mile or so. so Yeah. And as we found, if you just even press reset, it it automatically sets. So so that's a a little problem that they still need to work on with software. But as long as the wheels turn freely as we are driving, and the steering wheel is working. That's and fine. the parking brake is not on. Yeah, that's that's yeah, really those are the things that are the main problems crucial. that we heard about. The other things we can solve as time goes along. And we heard that every so often we just get a new software update through the air or something. <coughs> so perhaps Jeep, Jeep can still remedy this problem while well, we own it. One of the things we found that's rather disconcerting. I don't know. Do you have this problem that? If you buy a new car, and of course you have to register it at the dealer uh, with an email and that sort of stuff, and now I'm getting reports about my driving, well, where we're driving, from Jeep. Did they yell at you for speeding? No, they don't yell at me for speed. Well, they they probably know though. That's what's really disconcerting. Everybody down they here tell speeds me, on the well, express. Well, you have this much left on your uh, oil change, and this is your tire pressure, and. Um, we noticed that you've driven uh, 400 miles in the last week, and you just go, whoa, Jeep knows this about me? And even though our car has a subscription cell service, we have not subscribed to it, and we don't plan to. So as far as we're concerned, the Jeep has no connectivity. But, but it and does. Gentlemen, <laughs> does your car have? This is, I don't like Jeep knowing, I don't know, and I don't know how to turn it off. The trend these days is to mine your customers for data, and that's what they're doing with us, and we don't like it. Right. And as I think we maybe mentioned, one of the things that this car does have that we do like is uh, CarPlay. And CarPlay is uh, with your iPhone or Apple product, and it takes over the radio and provides uh, you with your own entertainment uh, without having radio stations. And you can run the apps that you're used to listening to or watching And navigate as well. That's right. You get to watch, and I don't. (laughs) Martha has a separate screen. One of the things that I do like about this car a lot is, as you all know, when you are using a car's GPS, you cannot look for a new address or a place while you are driving. It's a safety feature. But I have a separate screen, so I can. we get a sudden inspiration to stop at some restaurant somewhere and we don't know exactly where it is. I can put in all the information on my screen, locate that place, and send the information to the mainstream where Ken can get his driving instructions 
from that. And we also found that she can watch YouTube or whatever on... I don't think her, I've really done that. You haven't, but you can. Uh-huh. I, I think can it, see down the road her eyes glaze over as she's watching a movie on her screen. My perception is that that's more for me to control what's going on in the back seat. Where well, we that, have, well, you can watch it along where with Where we the have kids. two TVs, <laughs> which we did not want at all. Anyway, um, so this is... Uh, the way the world is going, all these screens, and the backup screen and the, the display screen is very nice, and it displays the CarPlay beautifully. And we can now run our apps and things. Our old car didn't have CarPlay, so we are looking forward to this from a number of reasons. As you probably have heard, GM has disabled CarPlay in all of the GM products. Why, you ask, would they do that? There are so many people with iPhones who like to have CarPlay. Well, the answer is because... Apple doesn't play nice with others. <laughs> well, GM wants to control the data that is generated from... They want to know what you're watching or listening to. They want to know what stations you're listening to. They want to know where you are. So they can sell it. So they can sell it. And Apple does not provide them, the car companies, with this information. Um, And according to Apple, they don't even collect this information. So GM said, well, we're going to sell your information to everybody in the world without telling you. So we're going to disable CarPlay. Is that, uh, and of course, the Android equivalent. So... Give me a break. This is the is world is becoming to, so data driven it's unbelievable. Now is that enough to make you not buy a GM car? I would say under other circumstances. I, I would not buy it because it doesn't do CarPlay, but because they are alternatively collecting data about me. Maybe they all are. Of course. It's the way the world is going. I say that as I just talk about Jeep collecting yeah, data. About yeah. Well, I didn't know. That's I didn't realize that that was going to happen. That they they have the audacity to send me an email saying, "Here's where you are, <laughs> and here's what you're doing." They're trying to help you. Oh boy. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, you might want to reconsider or check on these things before you buy a new car. I don't know. We don't buy new cars that often, so we have not been really uh, kept up to date with this. But it's still a nice car. It is. And I guess we're just going to let Jeep know where we are. Maybe it'll come in handy when we're lost in the desert. I wonder what it talks to Jeep about when we tow it. Yeah. How that how that reads on their your engine's not running, but your car is moving. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the and the electronics are on, so presumably I don't know. This we they and they don't. You, you sign half a dozen pieces of paper disclosing all sorts of stuff, which yeah. you probably. It was like buying a house. We yeah. signed so many papers. Jeez. And, and paying cash, you'd think you wouldn't have to sign a lot of stuff, but. But we did. But we did. Yes. So, uh, we did do some boondocking, which was where we took the car. And if you are in the west coast, if you're on the east coast of Florida, and you like to watch uh, launches <laughs> of this, of the, uh, from the Kennedy Space Center, and you're looking for a place to do that, uh, Jetty Park, which is uh, part of Port Canaveral, is a great place to visit. We have uh, stayed there two or three times, and... I'm going to recommend something which is strange. They have full hookup. They have like over 100 full hookup sites. Is it that big? 
Oh, I think so. I feel like we the, walked through it. it was, I feel like it doesn't meet the demand of people who want to no, camp well, there. But definitely doesn't meet the demand. But yeah. it's a very nice campground. But they have two rows of boondocking that is on the water. Front row seats. Front row seats. Very nice and uh, reasonably priced. I think it was. <laughs> I say reasonably priced. Thirty-five bucks to boondock. To boondock. <laughs> Well, that's the way it is. Um, Location, location, location. 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 But uh, it's right on the channel that all the cruise ships use to enter and leave Port Canaveral. Plus, go ahead. And other ships that are using the port. We saw a big Navy ship where we got to hear revelry and taps at the appropriate times in the morning and the evening. There were pictures of submarines, and they bring the space shuttle uh, boosters on that platform that they land in the middle of the ocean, they bring those back there, and and they bring in all sorts of components for the space program. All go through Port Canaveral down this channel, um, and it's a very nice park with a very nice beach, a swimming beach. We were there in February, so it wasn't too. Good we for weren't swimming, swimming but people, but there were, were, people surfing. were surfing and stuff, right? Yeah, with So this jetty park is hard to get into. Um, we could only get two nights, and I wasn't critical about when. I just kind of went and checked to see if I can get any two nights, and we did. I actually wanted three, but we couldn't get three. Sometime in January or February. And you go out there and boondock, and we like to boondock every once in a while because we like to test out the systems. Is the water pump working? Is the generator working? Do we know that we can? And do we know that we can? How much water do we use? And, And all that sort of good stuff. So we tested the RV, and it passed with flying colors. Uh, we actually needed, needed the heat. We tested the generator um, and all of those good components, and uh, it worked perfectly, and we are glad of, of that. So we, with, with reluctance, recommend Jetty Park to you because we don't want you to go there because then we <laughs> oh, can't go there. <laughs> but we'd like to have you as a neighbor. <laughs> Um, and, and and once again, we've complained about this before. The the sign said park is totally booked, and when we walked around in the evening, yeah. there were empty sites. That is a pet peeve of mine, especially in popular places. And apparently, from what the rangers say, if we can believe them, people make reservations and don't bother to cancel them, and so they have to hold the site for those people for whenever they get there. And there was somebody who arrived as it got dark. I mean, yeah. it depends on where you're coming from and what you're doing but to to have those beautiful sights just sitting there and somebody could have been enjoying them that aggravates me yeah so we we park facing in so that we can our front window is watching the ships going the by. ships go by and you can just sit there it's really very pleasant oh and i also <laughs> i made a huge mistake because we knew that there was going to be a rocket launch but it was in the middle of the night yeah, it was like at 1 o'clock in the morning. So for pictures, not so good. And we see quite a few launches anyway, and even from our front yard at the TGO, we can see uh, the rocket launches. So I wasn't, I don't know, I getting up in the We're getting blase. Really? Yes. But at 1.08 in the middle of the night, the whole RV starts to shake, and... I didn't realize how close, really close, we were to the launches. And <laughs> it was, in some ways, kind of thrilling to feel the... The, the power as long of as you it. know what it is. We can feel the launches uh, here at uh, our campsite in uh, Titusville, but 
there it's kind of faint it doesn't rattle the dishes but this rattled the dishes and then which is also very cool the booster comes back and there was the biggest sonic boom i've ever experienced a big bang and then the rocket comes back and lands at the pad and you know stupid me all I had to do was get up and look out the window, and I would have seen all this. But you were in <laughs> I, mean, I was thinking, oh, am I going to get up now? And then by the time here at uh, Titusville, it takes a minute and five seconds for the sound to get here. So by the time you get out there to look, it's gone. It's gone. Or it's just a little faint dot in the sky. Whereas here, I think it would have been, well, I should have gotten up anyway. So, dear listener, if you're looking for interesting boat boat watching or if you're interested in rocket launches. And a nice beach. And a nice beach. And a very nice park overall. It's a restaurant and all sorts of other things. So that uh, this is the place to go. And that's J-E-T-T-Y Park. I will try to put a link in the notes so that you can... so you can and get your own disappointed you reservation. Try to get in there, but do consider the boondocking part, which is uh, off, kind of away from the regular camping. And I think they even have a they have a washroom and a shower and stuff too. Yeah, they did, so we, which we didn't use. They would. So on to other exciting things. <laughs> you know. People ask us, uh, aren't you afraid to travel with all of the safety issues in the in the world today? And, you know, I wouldn't go outside the United States. But one of the things you have to consider is is that the United States is one of the most dangerous, dangerous countries, countries in, the countries in world. the world. But where are the safest places to travel? Well, we find out that our neighbor to the north is considered to be the safest country to travel in. That's really... Well, it doesn't surprise me, but it's interesting. Canada. Number two, Switzerland, Norway, Ireland, Netherlands, United Kingdom, Portugal, Denmark, Iceland. And where's Brazil? Number 15. Oh. It's on there. It's on the next page. Oh, on the next page. Brazil, where we're headed off to. Oh, where we are. (laughs) And Brazil, where we are. Yeah, I would not have guessed that Brazil would would rank so high, certainly higher than us. It's the guns. It's the guns. The constant. So for people who say, why do you travel and isn't it dangerous to travel? Yes, it's dangerous to travel in your own country more so than most other countries. And I think I would definitely agree with that. So, ladies and gentlemen, how about rain, which we have experienced? Certainly, if you live in California, you experienced a lot of it last month. It's amazing when we see on the news how how you can get a foot of rain in, in like, less than a month, less yeah, than a week. Yeah. It was incredible. And in February in Titusville, we had quite a lot of rain. Right. Um, but what do you do for a raincoat? <laughs> I've been vexed with this problem for a long time. <laughs> It's hard to find the right one because um, the ones that are the least porous tend to make you sweaty if the temperature is above right. 70, and then you're just raining on the inside of your raincoat. Right, and so you get Gore-Tex or you get one of the other fabrics that supposedly breathes, and then you know how much, how thick is it and how much does it weigh, and it's much more, uh, much more substantial than a standard fabric. Um, But we have kind of come to a conclusion that, (laughs) this is going to probably surprise you, I bought a pack of disposable raincoats, which are these ponchos, they're they're thin plastic. They're like dry cleaner bags. Right. And 
we're taking we're going to be using these in here in Brazil uh, on this trip, and they're disposable. And from Amazon, they cost less than fifty cents each, so that covers a lot of expensive raincoats that you would have. And they're because in small. hot weather, there is nothing worse than sweating inside your raincoat. Then, and, and you sweat in the disposables too. Yes, but they're but they are flimsy and they are airy and they're poncho like, and they will go over your backpack, and uh, they will keep you dry when they even have a little hood. And when you're done, you just throw them away. So I have three or four of those in my backpack, and I can just use them. And we got this idea because when we were in Indonesia, Indonesia. We had uh, our guides actually gave them to us, these flimsy raincoat things, and that worked out very well, I thought. And they gave one to everybody, and, you know, they probably get them for 10 cents each. And so it wasn't very expensive, and, you know, you don't have to worry about people having umbrellas because umbrellas are a decent solution, but they are a danger to other people. Did you know that fabrics from for raincoats come in different... Um, Amounts of waterproofness, so probably their how much uh, they are, how hot they feel is based on their water resistance. They have a scale, which was provided by a British company. So a zero to fifteen hundred millimeters is water resistant and snowproof in a very light rain. Hmm. From fifteen hundred to five thousand mm millimeters. I don't know what that means. Probably probably threads per inch or something. <coughs> they're wa- so from 1,500 to 5,000, they're waterproof in light rain to average rain. 5,000 mm, very waterproof in moderate to heavy rain. And 10,000 to 20,000, highly waterproof in heavy rain, but very heavy as a, as a fabric. Now, of course, these plastic disposable ones that I'm buying are totally waterproof because they're plastic and of course no air goes out or in so that's uh, the problem with these but if you're buying a raincoat and I think in more temperate climates I would have a raincoat but uh, you want to maybe pay attention to how much waterproofness you need and uh, you can base that on these standardized industry standard uh, waterproofness uh, numbers and when you're shopping for a raincoat, you have to watch out for other advertising related words to <laughs> to waterproof um uh-huh. moisture resistant rain shedding weatherproof those are not the official terms that you should use when uh-huh. you are seriously shopping for a raincoat. The official terms are waterproof water resistant and water repellent the other thing i wonder i have a very favorite coat that comes with a a warm layer which is another strategy Uh, when you are in a cold climate climate. and it's kind of a light color and every so often when we get home i wash it and i wonder uh, how water resistant repellent whatever it is at at this point because i have done that because they put coatings on them as well yeah well that's what the gore-tex products are you know they're supposed to breathe and the coatings are not supposed to trap air, so we'll see how that works. I don't know. I suppose and you can course, take your coat out and pour, put a hose on it and really watch what it does. Yeah. Or in the ba- in the bathtub. Can I can I spray you? 
<laughs> Only if I'm wearing a waterproof raincoat. <laughs> I see. And of course, if you go to the website for this episode, we have an article that will explain this in much more detail and be much more illuminating than <laughs> the crazy words that we just used. Um, one of the things I'm talking about, I'm thinking, uh, should we talk about? I think the pebble flow is something I want to talk about. Okay. We were at the Tapestro and we saw the Pebble Flow, which is an electric remote-controlled trailer, an, un, an RV unlike anything you've seen before. And once again, you better go to the website to take a look at this picture. It's because, described as George Jetson's RV. <laughs> which is pretty cool. So it has motors, which you unhook it from your vehicle. That you're towing you, it with. That you're towing it with. And you then use the electric motors on the, on the trailer to back it in or Park to park it on the, on the RV site. And this, of course, would save people a lot of trouble. A lot because, of marital discord. Because oh you could just park it yourself. Stand on, yeah. outside and this is and, a travel trailer, which is... And watch it. Tough to... Tough, travel trailers in and of themselves are tough to park anyway. So, but this is a fully operational RV that uh, has lithium batteries and is has these motors which allow you to back it in and park it and you might want to think about it anyway it sounds pretty cool and then uh last this month is we're going to talk about <laughs> lithium batteries and how many times have i talked about lithium batteries too many too many because i am in a quandary and i'm going to mention these uh li time batteries lithium time batteries this month because they have come in with a very reasonably priced lithium battery. And they've come in actually with a complete setup for a motorhome such as ours to get yourself into lithium. And prior to this, well, the last time I checked to buy us a set of lithium batteries that would be comparable to the eight six volt batteries that we have now, it was about uh, seven or eight thousand dollars. Ooh, that's a lot. And our batteries are coming up on five years old and as we said we're going to be going to alaska and so we thought we would want to have a new set of batteries of one sort or another and the last time i bought agms for this coach uh, it was about eighteen hundred dollars and for just the batteries for just the batteries. but that's all you needed because you already had the setup for that right, kind all of the electronics were there so now i'm thinking well for about two thousand dollars i can buy actually a, a larger capacity set of lithium batteries. Hmm. So that is really a much more cost-effective approach. And this would be the last set of batteries I would ever need. Plus, I wouldn't, uh, if somebody buys our motorhome, they will never have to buy batteries either. But we do have to do some conversion stuff. Right, and that's always the issue with a, with, with a tra travel trailer. If you have a converter charger which is lithium compatible, you just drop it in and away you go. So that's, that's pretty much of a no-brainer. With us, because we have to have uh, various charging systems that has to charge from the alternator, we have to keep the, the chassis batteries charged. Uh, there's uh, some complexities here, but the good news is is that these things are all solved 
uh, by various solution manufacturers, and it's become very cost-effective. And another concern we have had living in Chicagoland that we sometimes leave in the winter and lithium batteries don't like to be yeah, cold, well, right. and that problem is solved now too. Right. These batteries have a, <laughs> a built-in heater, and in very cold weather, you can't charge the lithium batteries. You can discharge them, but you can't charge them. So that in actuality, they hold more juice than a standard uh, lead-acid battery in cold weather, because the cold weather is bad, bad news for, for any battery. Anyway. And the lithium actually for discharging, actually, but if you can't charge them up again, then yeah, that's a problem. So I have a feeling that if you listen to our podcast sometime July, August, during the summer, <laughs> we may have some more specific experiences to tell you about our conversion to lithium. Either that or we'll be talking about a new knee. <laughs> well, the two are not... Exclusive. No, exclusive. no. You can go get take care of the battery problem while I'm home. <laughs> Recovering? Crying, yes. So the advantages of lithium, as they list here, is one, one-fifth the weight of batteries. They offer very high energy efficient efficiency when uh, then compared to lead-acid batteries. And they have uh, far fewer self-discharging issues than lead-acid batteries. You know, if you let them sit, they don't discharge. Uh, but you shouldn't let them sit at 100% charge anyway. We can, you can damage lead-acid batteries' life by depleting it below 50%. That does not happen with lithium batteries. They can be discharged to almost zero, although that's not recommended. And all the lithium batteries have a battery manager built into them, an electronic controller, which will not let you charge them when it's below zero, below freezing rather, will not let you discharge them beyond the rate that they where they should be. And so this electronic control, which none of the lead-acid batteries have, is uh, very uh, battery-conscious and will keep you on <laughs> straight and narrow, not let you make a mistake. Uh, plus, lithium batteries have a charge-discharge cycle of four to 10,000 cycles, which is impressive, whereas lead-acid batteries are in the three to 500 cycles. So naturally, a lead-acid battery will have a lifespan of four or five years um, before its capacity has been diminished, whereas a lithium will last you, they guarantee them, for at least 10 years. So if we get 10 years out of these batteries, we would be in good shape. And the batteries don't require any maintenance. And you can put them upside down, you can turn them around, you can flip them over. Take they, up less room. They take up less room. And the chemistry in the new batteries is very safe and doesn't catch fire, as you have sometimes heard from, yes, the, I have. from the airlines. So have I convinced myself that I should get lithium batteries? Sounds, sounds like it. <laughs> now... It will be so nice to be able to go to a car store and not have to linger in the battery battery aisle, admiring all the choices that um, are arrayed before us. No, I'm, I'm. The finance committee is in now in session. <laughs> <laughs> How does fifty one percent vote? I think that it's time to do that. Fifty one percent votes. Forty nine percent votes here and in and in the affirmative. The motion passes. Lithium batteries by the next RV. Nav oh, no, we won't be able to get it then because we won't be home. No. So when we're done with all of our cruises uh -huh. <laughs> that are already on the calendar and having uh, having uh, the 
freedom to avoid any more surgeries or other physical limitation interventions, uh, it'll be time to do that. All right. So next month, uh, now this cruise is going to take nearly the whole month. And we will be back, and then we're doing... <laughs> Another cruise. Well, but this is not just any old cruise. It's a family cruise. A family cruise on Easter weekend. A five-night cruise. Whatever were we thinking. We were thinking it would be nice to well, cruise with the family. We That's be, what we were thinking. Yeah, and that will be good. That will be fun. But we haven't done such a short cruise. And well, it, we're driving from Florida down to Miami. We're driving from Titusville to Miami. From Florida. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're driving from our TGO down to Miami, getting we're, on a five night cruise with thousands of kids. We're going to be switching from this palatial cabin that we are in here <laughs> oh, to right. an inside oh, cabin. No, with a window of something. We look over onto the, onto the promenade down below. It's not even an outdoor window. It's in a room window. that is so small that we will have to synchronize our arms when we brush our teeth in the morning. Uh, we will be eating early dinner, which we have... Oh, dinner at 5.30. Oh, my God. Like like true Midwesterners, which we are. So we might have a few things to say about this cruise, but that's, <laughs> that's in April. Yeah. So that yeah. will not be until... The next podcast, well, you're going to be here some gnashing of teeth. So, dear listener, we appreciate you listening, and we hope that you've enjoyed the cruising slash RV podcast. Uh, A little of both. And we will see you next month. Uh, and it, it, well, we uh, will be leaving in April, so you might see us in a campground near us, but not this month because we will be on the road in on a cruise. So, as always, we thank you for listening and traveling with us. We love that you are continuously interested in us and what we are doing, and I, and try hard to keep it entertaining and honest. And we hope that your finance committee has as a unanimous vote as we just had. Because that well, is, I have it on tape that you, you do. That the finance committee has met. All right. Talk to you later. Bye now. Happy travels.